Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello everyone, it's Sam McCall here from A Higher Branch, coming to you live from London. Uh, and I'm <laughs> with Carl Honoré, and really looking forward to, to this uh, podcast. Uh, we've been in London only 24 hours, and it was so good to see your face uh, this morning in the lobby of our hotel. So welcome, Carl. Thank you very much. Good to see you again. And um, yeah. Now, I know you have a very busy schedule. Carl is extremely busy at the moment on the back of his incredible new book called Boulder. And you've been doing a lot of interviews with, uh, tell us. Uh, yeah, I mean, it came out a few months ago uh, in English, but now it's starting to roll out into, it's come out in Dutch and Spanish and Romanian and stuff. So I'm traveling around the world yes. talking about this, uh, this new book of mine, Boulder, about aging and how we feel about aging and how we can do it better. And it's landing, you know, in slightly different ways, but very similarly in most countries. It's interesting. I think we're all in the same boat when it comes to this whole cult of youth thing. Well, I think you like with your first genre uh, where you've become the godfather of the slow movement. <laughs> uh, um, I think you've managed to tap into perfect timing as well because we're in an era, in this modern era, where people in their 40s, 50s, 60s are trying to make sense of how do you grow older because we don't feel like I'm in my mid 50s and I don't feel older, but society is hum- somehow mm. trying to paint us as older and want us to dress a certain way, act a certain way. But, you know, I, uh, I don't feel that way. And I know a lot of people are like that. So what made you write the book to begin with? And how do you manage to just tap into the right, you know? <laughs> it seems to, I seem to have sort of lucky timing. Uh, I guess my books always start from a moment of personal epiphany where I realize that in my own life, something's awry. Something is not right. I'm just not fitting into my own journey and, and I, I my wake-up call came when I was playing at a hockey tournament I'm a big sports guy play ball hockey at a pretty high level and I just discovered that at this tournament I was the oldest player there yeah. out of nowhere and I knew that I was one of the oldest but somehow being the oldest just rocked me to the core it was like getting cross-checked <laughs> in the face and I suddenly felt so awful I felt all these questions crowding in I thought you know are people laughing at me should I be yeah. here should I give up hockey and take up bingo and, and the very fact that I began to question my own love of a game I'd been playing since childhood, when I was playing it just fine and enjoying it immensely, just made me stop for a moment and push pause and think, well, why do I feel so bad about growing older? It's something we all do. Yeah. And in fact, we're entering a golden age of aging. It's never been a better time to grow older in human history. And yet somehow for, to most of us, it doesn't feel that way. We're living longer than ever before. And yet we feel more miserable than ever before about aging. Somehow there's this weird disconnect going on. And I just wanted to understand and unpack that. I guess so where's that message coming from? This, where is that pressure coming from? I think it's coming from lots of places. I mean, there's a, a natural human instinct to not want to die, right? You know, mortality. You know, we, of course, we're going to think of youth as being our best years. Uh, and, you know, the body changes in ways that we don't like. Of course, as it, we grow older, that's part of it. But there's a cultural push as well going on. I was going to say, is it yeah. coming from corporations from industries is this coming from popular media is it coming i think it's coming from all those places uh, that we've just especially since the 1960s created a a cult of youth culture so that the message is coming at you wherever you look whether it's advertising uh, corporate hiring practices uh, the language we use when we talk about people in the media 
social media is part of it as well. The message coming at us from every angle is that younger is better and that growing older is somehow shameful. It's yeah. failure, yeah. right? And, and I think that just becomes a vicious circle so that we tell ourselves this, we get told it, we then reinforce this idea that aging is all about decline, that from the age of whatever, 30, 35, 40, it's all downhill, that everything gets worse. Manifestly untrue, but I think a lot of us, without even thinking about it, have absorbed this idea that somehow aging is, is, is about shame, guilt, fear, disgust even. We feel yeah. disgusted by the very idea of growing. <laughs> In fact, and, and that's why we lie about aging, right? You know, ageism, yeah. discrimination, prejudice against people on the basis of age, and the, has the cult of youth at its core, ageism makes us feel so bad about growing older that we lie about how old we are. You know, we lie on Tinder, we lie at work, we lie to loved ones, we lie to ourselves. A friend of mine recently celebrated her 39th birthday, right? Yeah. For the fourth time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that we, we laugh at that, but every time yeah. we use ageist language, every time we use expressions or play around with our birth dates like that and tell lies about how old we are, we are reinforcing the toxic radioactive myth that aging is all bad because it's not. Okay, so what should we do if we start to feel that way? Um, yeah, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's at home, even our kids can make us feel old sometimes. Like uh, my daughter said to me uh, the other day, oh, dad, you're 55, you're old. And I said, that's just a number. Why are you saying that to me? Mm. And that's a good. That's a good. You call people out. That is my one of my number one suggestions for call people out. Call out the language people we use. That language that always reinforces this idea that older is worse and younger is better. Let's stop using expressions like senior moment, the wrong side of forty, feeling my age, showing my age. They're all yeah. woven into our vernacular, and we throw them around. We hear them, and they are just all of them reinforcing and embedding in us this idea that growing older is, is a bad thing. And I think as we've done with racism and sexism, yes. we hear the, that kind of language and we call it out. Oh, I love that. that. That is a really good analogy. So you've got to call it out. Start calling out. Stop use. you know, check your own language. Yes. But be bold enough to call it out when other people use it against you or against people around yes. you. Because that's how we start changing how we feel about ourselves and how we move and act in the world is the language we use. If we have the right words and we expunge from our vocabulary the dark, dirty words that tell us that it's all downhill, then, then it will be an easier thing to do. I think so. Age. Yeah, I, I guess step one is to change your vocabulary. And uh, I, I really get that. And I'm very conscious of that. I hate cliches to, be, uh, to begin with. So... I'm all, always using original language that's appropriate for the moment. But I think the, the other thing that I try and do, um, and well, the thing that I'm obsessed with is also eating well, exercising, staying sure. young. Um, Not staying young though. See there again, but, I'm gonna the, call your language out, right? Yeah. Staying well. Because you're not, yes. you're not young at 50, you know, well, you may be young, this is a relative term, but, but we're all aging. We're all growing older every day. And I think we have to start by accepting and embracing that. And then the question becomes, how am I going to age? Am I going to age badly or am I going to age well? And I if you're going to you age mean. well, yeah, yeah, yep. you we're reframing it. That's the starting point. And once you've reframed it, you say, what does aging well look like? How do I do it? Then you get onto the conversation about how you eat well, getting enough sleep. All of those yeah. things that we hear all the time in the press that are connected with wellness and all that stuff, 
It, that's all about how you live and age well. So, because there is a biological age, but there's also what uh, what I measure as the metabolic age. So you can do testing, uh, telomere testing, find out the length of your telomeres on your DNA to figure out exactly how old your cells are. Um, and uh, I think what what you're saying is that if you start thinking uh, old and reinforcing that thinking by using language that is full of cliches about being older, you're sending, there's science that says that you're sending a message to your cells to actually die. Yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> this is the thing that I found most astonishing in my research when I did this book was that it turns out, and the studies show this very clearly, that ageism, having this negative yeah. view of aging, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. In other words, if you have a downbeat, grim view of growing older, you will age less well. You know, you're more likely to suffer from cognitive and physical decline, yes. you're more likely to develop dementia, you're even more likely to die younger, right? Or yes. you're as much as seven and a half years younger if you have a bad, bleak view of growing older. So these things, it's all that reinforcement feedback loop thing. If you are swallowing this idea, which is wrong, that everything about growing older is bad, then you're stacking the deck against yourself when it comes to how you're going to age. Right. So. I guess that's the, the important distinction that you've just given me because uh, uh, really your book Boulder and your message isn't about uh, trying to stay young because eventually we are going to, you know, our cells are going to get older. We may be putting off... Not even eventually. I mean, yeah. you're age, we're aging from the moment in some ways. Every day. From, from, the, from the moment <laughs> we're born in some... I mean, certainly from our 20s, yeah. we're changing in ways that one would describe as aging. And yet, again, th come back to the language. I was just reading reports in, uh, you know, it's Wimbledon season, right? You're talking about, and they were discussing people being aging tennis players. Yes. Uh, and you think, well, hang on a minute here. Robert Federer was aging at 25. Why is he only being described as aging now? now. We are all aging all the time. And this is what I'm trying to tear down is some of yeah, this language. Because until, you, until yep. you pull away your, yourself out of that language downward spiral, all the other stuff is only ever going to be window dressing. You okay. know, you can eat well, you can sleep well. You have to get this... The mindset, mindset. right. Mindset, okay. First shift is the mindset. The language is a big part of that. At whatever age? At any age. And this is why mm. my book, you know, is, is landing with so many different generations because then I really want it to be read in some ways by, by young people because I, I look back and think, well, I'm now 51. I wish I'd written this book 25 years ago, right? Because yeah. it would have saved me not only 25 years of shame, guilt, worry, dread <laughs> about my own aging, yes. but it would have equipped me to approach those 25 years with hope and an open mind and thinking, yeah, okay, some things are gonna change that maybe I'm not gonna be that happy about, but many things are gonna stay the same and some are even gonna get better. And I, mm. you know, if, you, if we can give that gift of that mindset to the younger generation to approach their aging with that spirit of openness, to see aging as a process of opening doors rather than closing them, to see it as an adventure rather than affliction, yes. then that change, that's game changing because you are, everybody is gonna age better, right? From Absolutely. the start, because so much of it is to do with mindset and how you feel about it. So what are the things that do get better? You mentioned that mm -hmm. some things in fact get better as we mm -hmm. age and we should embrace, uh, focus just as much as uh, sure. on those things. So what are the things that do get better there's, as there's, we get older? There, 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 there are many things. Uh, I mean, for, for start, um, happiness. You know, human beings follow what's called a U-shaped happiness curve, starting up pretty high in childhood, falling, bottoming out in middle age, and then bouncing back up again. Yes. So that around the world, the adults who report the highest levels of life satisfaction and happiness are the over 55s, 
right? right. And so, you know, Why scientists, is that? Why is well, that? scientists have even spotted a similar U-shaped curve in chimpanzees and orangutans, which suggests that a happiness boost in later life may even be coded into our primate genes. Why? We don't really know. There are various theories. One is that in the distant past, our ancestors who lived in tribes and, and, and nomadic groups and so on stood a better chance of surviving if they had upbeat grandparents. You know, uh, of course. You know if yes, you had yes, grandparents yes. who were sitting around moping about how life was way better back you know, 10, 20 years before, that kind of drags the whole tribe down, right? Yes. But if you've got grandparents who are more likely to see the upside, who have a more sunny disposition, that's a, that's a useful thing to have in your back pocket genetically, right? Yeah. And, and of course, yeah. the culture tells us that later life is depressing, sad. Look at all the language we use for older people. Cranky, crotchety, grumpy old man. Yeah, yeah, That yeah, language totally. is there, but the facts tell you a totally different story, right? There's a strong movement when it comes to sexism and, um, you know, movements throughout the world, whatever they may be, about changing language. But is there one for ageism and how people, older people are treated? Because nobody hires people over the age of 50 anymore. Like, well, (laughs) we have laws on the statute books that guard against ageism, but we're not enforcing them. Particularly in the corporate world, there are so many ways that people duck and dive to avoid, you know, they find out someone's age and then they go on the scrap heap. They don't get the interview, right? Or they get yeah. pushed out the door first when there's restructuring and so on and, and given all kinds of sugar-coated reasons why that happened when in fact it's just pure good old-fashioned ageism <laughs> that's behind it. You're asking, is there a movement? I mean, there's well, the beginning now. I think your, is part your, of, your, your, your book has really started this conversation. It's, it's definitely a big part of what's changing. I can feel... That little ripple, you know, in the ether as people start to say, you know what, this makes sense to me. I have been thinking about this myself, yes. but now you've put it in words that I understand and I can see my own use of language against, you know, and I, I'm hearing this so much from people around the world. They say, well, it was such a revelation reading the book because I realized that I was part of the problem, Yes, you know, as, yes. as well as feeling vaguely like a victim of ageism. I was part of it too, and, and that's the first step. And I feel there is the beginnings of a, a pretty powerful movement now across, certainly across the English-speaking world, but I think you're finding it elsewhere too, that people are starting to say, this can't go on like this. And, and not surprisingly, the world is changing in ways that will force this to happen. It has to happen. Demographics, the planet is getting older every day. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And we, we have to confront the fact that we are living much longer. We are also living better for longer. Yes. We, we can't. We're doing aging all wrong because we're, we've created this bizarre dichotomy where we feel like the best years of our lives are what, to 30 or 35, maybe 40 or something? Yeah. You've got to rush to get it all in then. And then after that, it's just apocalypse, right? It's just all downhill. So we, we spend, yeah. what, 35 years <laughs> of our lives worried about running out of time. And then we spend the next 50 years feeling bad about our age. I mean, that's just the worst way to deal with aging. Absolutely. And I think as the, as yeah. the longevity figures shift and we get more and more older people in the world, not just in the world, but out there taking life by the scruff of the neck, showing and redefining what later life can look like, you know, launching startups in their 50s, learning languages in their 60s, running for political office in their 70s, running marathons in their 80s, falling in love with their 90s. That is shifting and moving the needle, right? And that's I love, so powerful. I love the anecdotes in your book uh, where you talk about people who are bucking the trend and doing these amazing things. And that it's really inspires others. And uh, I think th- uh, that's why I'm excited for our community, uh, uh, f- for them to listen to you at Upgrade Your Life 2020 because 
the uh, theme is about having vision, 2020 vision, uh, which is also about having clarity. Mm. And really looking forward to uh, Carl's talk on yeah, growing bolder uh, and having a vision of uh, what, uh, what old age means to you or getting growing uh, older means to everyone. And um, you know, I'm hoping that you will actually give us the, the tools and the practical tips to change our vocabulary, change mm -hmm. our mindset. So really looking forward to Carl's talk at uh, Upgrade Your Life. Sorry, you were going to say something. I just something want to just pick up that, that word you use there, vision, because that's something I look at in the book and we'll talk about it at Upgrade Your Life next, um, next year. The, um, I think we've lost that sense of looking at our lives in the long term. We're so kind of, we're pining for the past. We're appalled by the idea of the future. Yes. So we're disconnected from our future self. Yes. And a big part of aging well, aging boldly, is taking the long view, thinking, you know, you might be 20-something, 30-something, 40-something, but, some, but imagining what your life might look like in the next decade, 20 years hence, 30 years hence, and starting to diffuse some of the fear and dread around yes. it, you know, to think about it. And, and part of that is mixing the generations, you know, getting to know people who are in different stages of life. And I think that helps take down some of those ageist worries. But I'm glad you raised crucial, that. crucial here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you raised it. So there's two things that you just raised, uh, absolutely critical, is that you have to have a vision for not just your business vision or your mm -hmm. career vision. You have to have a vision of how socially you're going to grow older. Mm -hmm. And I, I really love that because people just don't. A lot of people, even in their early 30s, I know people that are just turning 30 saying, oh, I feel old, I'm growing old. And using this vocabulary, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's uh, yeah, really devastating to hear. And I'm thinking, geez, you're, in your, you're 31, you think you're, you're old? <laughs> just what you wait. <laughs> what am I, <laughs> a dinosaur? Yeah, um, yeah so I, I, you know, I really love that. But I just want to go back to another point you made, and that is this U-curve of happiness. Mm -hmm. um, could it also be that at the dip where people are most unhappy in their life. So, you know, we start off as youth and we're really happy. Is that, is that the point where people start taking on res responsibility of having kids, mortgages, and feeling the weight of responsibility? Is it, that when that happens it, as well? It, it, it's, it coincides with that, but I'm not sure if it's been proven that there's a causal relationship. Because if you take out of the equation things like mortgage, and so, this, this, is, this U-shaped happiness curve occurs across all social groups, across all income levels, you know, as a general rule. So it's in our DNA. It's it way just seems wide. to be something that's in the human journey, right? Yeah. So, you know, people who haven't had children and don't have a mortgage, you know, will seem to follow us. Of course, this isn't everybody, but this is yes. a human, seems to be a human phenomenon observed across, you know, cultures and ethnic groups and, and social, different social economic strata. So, you know, I think when we, and I've, I'm, I'm actually technically at the bottom point, right? At 51, I should be, I'm, I can be looking forward to bouncing. And I, I, I feel pretty good as it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the weight of, you know, my children are just getting to the point of leaving home and I can sort of see a way out. But I don't necessarily think that that's a, a, a def definitive driving force behind, behind that phenomenon. It seems to go deeper. Yes. The U-shaped curve. Now, I've known you for 10 years, but I've been following your career for uh, even longer, I think uh, since 2006. Uh, but, I mean, apart from the few extra grey hairs that you have, for <laughs> me, uh, <clears throat> you do uh, give off a, a more youthful energy now, actually. So 
is that something that you're conscious of? Did you have a vision back then that you're materializing now? No. <coughs> no, I didn't because I, I back then didn't think at all about age or tried not to think about aging. I just, I have a love of life, a real hunger for getting out and doing new things and just want to devour the world, you know, in big bites. So I've always, I've always been like that. And then you couple that with not ever really wanting to think about aging. And I no, I'm, I guess my answer to that question is I didn't have a vision. What's changed now is having gone mm -hmm. through this whole process of really thinking hard about what aging means and looks like and how we can do it better in a world that is better and better for aging. I've added an extra layer now to my own self-awareness, if you like. Now, I, I think right. a lot about not only where I've been, where I am now, but also I project into the future much more than I did. So I, I suppose I've always been somebody who does a lot of sports and is very active and eat, eats well and so on. So that hasn't changed. But I guess I'm, that way of being in the world is now anchored in a bigger philosophical understanding of what that will mean for me when I'm you know, 10 years from now, in my 60s or whatever and stuff. So it, but I'm not somebody who was at, you know, hunched over a death's door and, and learning about ageism and aging saved me. You know, I was, you know, yeah. I've always, as you say, I've always been pretty, um, pretty okay. Touch wood, right? There's some wood here somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because you never know, right? You know, who, who knows? Some, sometimes you draw a short straw and something that really you couldn't have done anything about hits you, right? Yes. You know, so you've so got to deal with that too. Two things then, um, and one's personal. Uh, the first one, not so personal, is what can what can people do to mm -hmm. embrace sure. uh, the age or, or to have a vision, uh, you know, as they get older. And secondly, what does life look like for you, say, at the age of sixty or mm -hmm. whatever? Uh, next ten years, uh, do you have a vision for your own life that we can, you know, learn yeah. from? Because obviously, you are you've written this amazing book that I, I think is a defining moment, really, for a lot of people who read books and. We were thinking about uh, growing older, um, and when I read it, a lot of it I thought, you know, was pretty much related to your mm -hmm. life and where your journey is. So I'd love to know what your vision is for yeah. Carl, you know, over the next decade, and what can people do to what can people live do? like Carl as sure, well, right. you know? <laughs> um, Because you do live in this incredible life. And I'm, yeah, uh, I do feel very lucky. I mean, I, I get up every day and I just think sometimes, wow, this is. Uh, did I build this or did it happen? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I love what I do and I, I'm, I'm, I feel very, very, very lucky. Uh, okay, the first question, what can people do? Is it like traveling? Because you do a lot of traveling, for example. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if it comes down to sort of thinking of what are things people can do to you know, age better or, or live a better life throughout yes. the life. I think, um, well, let's, number one, I put the, the using the right language, right? Getting yes. the right language to get your mindset right. That's not just about aging, but about everything. Think about how the lang your language is shaping how you move in the world. So what sort of examples then? With what, what language should we eliminate? What language should we replace it with? Well, I guess, I mean, I, we, we've been through the kind of ages and ones. Yes. I would get rid of all those ageist words. Um, use open language. I mean, you know, I tend not to say things like, ca I, I can't do this. I, I often reframe it as I can't do this yet. Yes. You know, just a similar, it's a simple thing like Love that, it. you know, yeah. or, or, or I, I can't do this now, or just something that just tweaks the framing a little bit. Yes. And I do think that makes a, a difference. I've always been very... A natural-born optimist, and I think that's part of making that my way of being. Right, is yes. just using the right language. Uh, a second thing is novelty. It's so important to expose yourself to new things, and sometimes you can get into a, a rut. It can be a, 
a, a negative rut or it can be a, a just an easy comfort zone thing. Yes. And I think it's so crucial always just to push yourself. Push yourself a little bit more and then push a little bit more. Expose yourself to new things. You know, go to a website to read about politics from a point of view you don't normally encounter or download a Spotify list from a genre you never listen to or yes. go to a part of Netflix you've not visited before. Just expose yourself to new things because novelty refreshes us, it recharges us, and it is a crucial part of aging well is, is, is new. Keep curious. Man, right? I love that. Keep it's so simple but so, so powerful. Yep. It, it is and, it's, and yeah. it's so easy not to do because it's so easy mm. just to stick with the tried and tested. Absolutely. Cause, and I, I talk about this I know to my team back home and that is your comfort zone is your dead zone that's where your five senses go to die and what you're saying is really to live in a uh, in a space which uh, heightens your five senses so if you're experiencing new sights new sounds new smells whether it's a new restaurant new flavors that's what you're talking about exactly. novelty that brings your senses alive yeah and uh, it just supercharges you i mean it yeah it's also, it's also joyful, right? It's fun. Yes. It's fun. I mean, there's nothing more uplifting than, than discovering something new. We all know that experience. So, uh, the framework for a higher branch is the eight areas of life. And, you know, one of them is uh, health, but health being the center, so you're physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So seeking novelty in those four things. So whether it's physical, uh, exercise, try new exercise. You know, if you're a runner, go cycling or try swimming. Is, yeah novelty in those ways it's like a cross-train mindset yes that's exactly oh, that's beautiful mix it up yep and when it comes to love and relationships as well mm -hmm. so you, you you need to seek uh, novelty in your relationship try new what restaurants do things differently together keep dating you know yeah. is that is that it? Yeah, yeah no I, yeah even in things that yeah a relationship is a very good example of how it's easy just to settle into a groove and we all know where that can lead, right? In so many, so many ways, um, not a good place. So yeah, to just find little ways to, whether it's a date night or go learn a new th skill together, or take a dancing course, just something new, right? Yes. Just to, because there's something about that opening up of the self to the other, you know, it just, it's new, right? It's novelty, it's... it's um, what about in parenting? Uh, for novelty? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think th the same principles apply to families as well. Is uh, You can get stuck in a rut. And I think just for families to... Pivot, stop, do something new. You because know, families go home and do the same things every time. Over and over. They say hello again and someone goes on their laptop, someone's on their phone and they're doing, they're repeating yeah. this cycle. So novelty is breaking that Break the pattern. Break the pattern. Just break the pattern and move sideways two degrees and go down a different path. And sometimes move 90 degrees, maybe yes. 180, but just use that dial. You know, just don't stay in the same path. And it doesn't have to become... A stick with which to beat yourself novelty yeah. you don't want to turn into one more awful thing on your to-do list I, I don't regard it that way just make it part of your I don't know your emotional armory the way you put things on in the morning to go face the day is just you bring your novelty kit with you right you know just this yep. idea that you're always looking for that one little grain of newness out there because it's just wherever you whatever you are doing in life wherever you are in your life trajectory there's always some little bit of newness out there that to be, you can to be uncovered and the new things though can be frightening right so most people will say well no i won't take that path i'll drive to work or cycle to work or walk to work the, the path that i know um so you're talking about novelty around even those simple and things fear yeah. i'm glad you brought fear up because i think that is what often shackles us and gets in the way of going down that new path but one way to 
break through that fear is, again, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, that idea of projecting yourself into the future, imagining your future self. Think of yourself on your deathbed looking back. What is it you're going to want to remember there? You know, uh, and nobody looks back and thinks, I wish I spent more time on Facebook, right? Or, or, or watching the same TV show on Netflix endlessly, <laughs> right? We, we look yeah. back on the stuff that lit us up in yes. the moment, right? And that's often novelty is that spark. And I think if you take that long view of life and you imagine, okay, I'm not, I'm, if I do, I say no now, what am I going to feel later on? Because of course, anyone who's got any life experience and taken any time to do the 30,000 foot view realizes that, is that when you look back on your life, the things you, do, you regret are generally not the things that you did. They're the things you didn't do. Yes. It seems that novelty is one critical element yeah. uh, to changing your mindset about growing older. And so I just want to stay on that uh, on that theme because I know there are other you know protocols that you can adopt as well. Because look, I'm really obsessed with giving our community, <clears throat> excuse me, some tips on what they can infuse in their life starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when people look too much into the future, they get overwhelmed and they think, well, I'll start that one day. But if yeah. we can say from tomorrow morning. You can start doing these things, then yeah. it's easier to infuse. So we're talking about novelty. We've spoken, we've given some examples, novelty in, in your own health, uh, novelty in relationships with your partner, novelty with your, your family. What about in work and business? How do we seek novelty to stay, um, I don't want to say stay young because that's exactly the opposite <laughs> of what you've just said. Uh, uh, how to embrace you know, uh, growing older, um, or is that even a wrong term to say? No, no, I th- I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm yeah. sort of sitting here like your language police on you. Um, no, I would sort of say Ooh, stay important. fresh, stay fresh, stay, stay, fresh, yep. stay sharp, stay relevant. So stay, how do we stay do on that your in game, business? Right? How um, do we do that? Do we? How do we? Uh, how do we uh, embrace keep, a beginner's yeah. mindset to stay innovative, to stay relevant as we as we uh, you know grow. Uh, into, um, you know, in our jobs. I think, I think um, well, we, we hear this phrase bandied about a lot these days, lifelong learning, right? Which yes. has, has become a bit of a... What's what our communities yeah, about as well. But it's, yeah. it's absolutely crucial, right? Not yeah. for us personally, but also for business as the world is changing so rapidly. We've got it, the, the idea that you just get all your training at 22 and that's it is it's yeah. just obsolete, right? Yes. It makes no sense anymore. So I think we're all being nudged towards learning. And, and I think probably most of us could nudge ourselves a little bit more right? yes. to, to exercise that natural human curiosity muscle that it's so much, it's so fulfilling, it's so uplifting, it's so joyous to learn new things. I mean, this is something that gives us real pleasure, right? Uh, and to just make that step, right? To, to sign up for that extra, I don't know, online course that your company is offering or go off on that day to learn a new thing or to talk to your line manager about, uh, mixing up your portfolio, the things you do, asking if you can learn or, or mentor somebody else within the company or be mentored. You know, there's so many different ways that companies are See, kind of putting these things that. on the table. I love that. That's but, so good. Yes. But people, I don't know, because of inertia, fear, just lack of habit, we often don't take them up. And many companies, those things are on, on the buffet table. So the companies are doing the right thing. They could do much, much more. There's no question of that. But I think a lot of them have clued in and are offering yeah. the lifelong learning thing has got a lot of traction in the corporate world so they are offering some of these programs but I, I speak to HR people and people in the corporate world all, all over the place and you hear them saying well we put these things out there and people just you know you can take a horse to water right yes. and people just don't take them up so I would say investigate what your your company has on, on offer and and work 
you know, find one thing that you can do. And, th and this is the thing about curiosity and learning. I think that it is a bit like a muscle. For many of us, it's got atrophied. And once you start using a muscle again, it plumps up, it gets stronger, more lithe and, 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 and functional. And you start to use it and want to use it more and more. So if you just do one, dip your toe into one little program in the company, maybe it's a little bit of mentorship or whatever it is, you're gonna, it's gonna light you up, right? And then you'll want to do more, I think. So it's, can be the, the first, the starting can be a little bit difficult because yes. of inertia. But once you get going, this is a natural human drive and a natural human instinct is to want to, to learn stuff, right? To, and to find, seek out novelty because that brings us pleasure. So just expose yourself to it a little bit, take that first step in and, and I think from there it'll, it'll, sort, it'll become a natural thing. You won't have to be thinking about it. You'll just, just do it. See, I love that. You've mentioned three things, three key takeaways. And that's the third one is to keep learning. Mm. You know, the first one is change your vocabulary, which is your <laughs> mindset. Second is to seek novelty. But the third, which is related to novelty, mm. but is to keep learning. Yeah. And I'm really glad you, uh, you raised that because uh, I think it's a critical way to stay, you know, to stay sharp and stay relevant. Um, Absolutely. So uh, a lot of research in this area uh, with people uh, who are cognitively sharp they took you know they took uh scans of their brain to see well these people who are staying sharp in old age they must have less beta amyloid plaque on their brain tissue but when they actually did the scans they they showed they realized that actually no they do have plaque on their brain <laughs> tissue just like sufferers of alzheimer's but they're not they're they're not symptomatic and it's because these people were either playing instruments, learning new instruments, mm -hmm. learning new languages, or socializing. And those three things yeah. actually cause new neuropathways to be developed. So our brain is infinitely, you know, uh, there's infinite capacity there if, if we want to use it. So um, uh, that's another way, you know, having a beginner's mind and learning is to stay cognitively sharp. And I, I just yeah. love that. Love that you raised that. That's well, the, is critical. It's, it's, it's great because, of course, as you say, the mind and brain science is all there. That uh, one of the great ageist myths is that learning is for the young. Yes. And that neuroplasticity only exists for you know young people, and then you suddenly fall off a learning cliff, and that's just not true. We can the, yes. that plasticity <laughs> is there all the way through our lives. We can rewire and recalibrate our brains physically, structurally, and that's down to us. It's how yes. we act and are in the world. And if we're doing those things you're saying there, learning, exposing ourselves to new stuff, we're going to keep that brain, you know, rejigging itself to, to yes. keep on delivering the goods, the cognitive goods up until, up until the very end. And we haven't talked about it much till now, but the social side, of course, is hugely important as well. You know, just simply socializing. We're social animals. And by socializing... So is that, that the also, fourth component? I think, think that's that? one of the... Another key one as well, definitely, yeah. is to keep building, build strong social networks, be out there socially. Uh, loneliness, of course, in, in modern society is a, is a scourge at all generations and every age level. And they've shown that you know, being lonely and socially disconnected can be as bad for your health as obesity and smoking, right? So this is a serious business. It's not just yes. some woolly, woohoo, it's nice to be around. No, it's actually the yes. science is there saying, get out there, be socially connected. And that will also create this happy feedback loop of being good for your physical health and for your cognitive health. And critical for growing uh, older with the right mindset is to stay socially active. It's also the mindset, but also it will fit into, because you know, many people are more likely to fall into 
social isolation in later life because of you know you lose people close to you through you know and and just because of the way the society is structured with housing and income and various things people in later life can find themselves disconnected so then you end up in a vicious circle right you're disconnected you have less social interaction that makes you age less well so you, you then you know and then you find it harder to connect it's a negative so that's yeah, a, that's a loop we really spiral. need to exactly we need to break that spiral and start actually breaking it from from adolescence right make sure that social component is central to our lives rather than something we enjoy on vacations right or, or yes. little moments uh, we've we, we live in a very socially i think a very socially impoverished weirdly impoverished world i mean on one hand i mean i'm a huge fan of social media and i do think it's very helpful for connecting i was going to say one of my questions was but, does that include <laughs> social media uh from social point of view i think it does i think social media if you use it wisely and judiciously can enrich that social yes connection and offer but you it only will work that way if you have a whole spectrum of social uh, experience, right? So yes. I, I think of social media as kind of the quick, fast, fixed version of it. But you need the slow stuff where you go out into the world and spend a whole afternoon in a friend in the park with a friend. Just hang out, right? Absolutely. Need, or, or just simply being with face to face with another human being. Right? Well, I love the way you use social media uh, because you use that as the spark to then go to that analog connection, face to face mm, connection. Very much. And not as a replacement. It's, yeah. the, you know, it's the, the trigger uh, to go. It's the first step because it brings people together. So I love the way you use that. And it reminds me of something that Guy Winch said last week when I met with him in New York. And he said that, um, and this is an important tip, and that is that a lot of um, uh, the worst thing you can do on social media, he, he's not against social media. Mm -hmm. he, he thinks it's a good thing, but only if you're engaging on social media. So if you're, if you're a person that sort of just browses social media and sees what everyone else is doing, but not actually putting mm -hmm. things out there, it actually makes you feel worse. So you shouldn't go on social media if that's what you're going to do. But if you're going to engage, if you're going to post things and make comments and engage with others, then social media is a way of um, yeah, connecting. Social media as well, just cycling back to the whole aging question, how we feel about aging. I think social media is an incredible tool for changing our whole narrative about aging. And you already see it. If you go on yes. to Instagram today, millions of people around the world will be uploading photos and videos showing their version of yes. being 30-something, 40-something, 50-something, 60, yes. 70, 80-something. And guess what? That version is hugely different from the ageist narrative, which tells you that after whatever, 40, it's everything gets worse, it's all downhill, your senior moments, your, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and, yes. and, that, and that, that whole visual landscape is being altered as it's being filled up with this much more nuanced, much more upbeat story about later life. And that is hugely powerful because... Role models matter. What we see matters. Yes. And social media is delivering much more of that, I think, all the time. We're seeing people trampling ageist stereotypes, and that makes it easier for us to do the same. Yes. Actually, uh, um, I watched a documentary on the plane on the way to London, and it was about how the internet has changed our lives. And Martha Stewart is in her 70s, and she has friends like Justin Bieber and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> right? That's right, exactly. And, and she made the point that if it wasn't for social media, she would never have made friends mm. with these people. But it was social media that created the, um, you know, the, the, the forum for her to connect. And now she actually gets together and has tea and <laughs> yeah. catches up there with Snoop Dogg. So yeah. uh, I'm glad you, you said that about social media because there's a lot of experts uh, that dump on social media. 
And it's just, uh, it's our use of technology, right? It's mm. not the technology that's evil. It's it our is. use of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's an important distinction. And so I, I think if we're structuring this podcast, that would be, you know, the fourth really um, uh, the fourth protocol that you should use to uh, to change your mindset and about uh, uh, age and your vision for what you want to look like in the future. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely use social media uh, as the first step to connecting with others and stay socially active. Yeah, and that's a critical thing that I learned uh, in Sardinia last last year. I attended a longevity conference and. Um, one of the key takeaways was that it's not about just eating healthy and exercising. Uh, like you said, you know, social isolation is worse than smoking and sitting mm. for your health. Uh, so I'm really glad you, you raised that. Um, so uh, tell us what's, what's your vision for <laughs> Have you thought about it? Right When you wrote the book, uh, do you, did you have a vision of uh, what life would be like for you in 10 years' time? Because nobody knows what society yeah, is going to look like. I know. Well, that's, that's what makes it in, in a way harder because things are so, changing so quickly that it's hard to imagine what, what, what we'll be doing. I mean, I guess I wrote the book really. Whenever I write a book, I'm, I really just want to write the best book I can write. Yes. So I, I tend not to think, well, if I do this, what will the, how will this change my life? I'm just focused on writing the book. And then when the, once the book comes out in the world, I begin thinking, well, what is it all going to mean? I, I'm not, I mean, I, I feel like I'm so happy and at ease with the way my life is at the moment, structured with, with sort of writing, but also speaking and doing sort of bits of television and just different ways of taking an idea out into the world and just changing the way people feel about themselves. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've, I've been doing that now. I mean, my, I started with the slow work now 15 years ago. And I just feel like the, I, I don't see that particular configuration ending in the near future yeah i feel like i feel like that's it just feels right that, that, that i've got the right amount of travel so i, I feel like I've, the next bit is that will carry on along that track i have lately been wondering well will i get to a point where that feels tired and and, and boring mm. to me right and, and maybe i want something new and i i don't know i've i've i've, I've come from teaching stock both my parents and my father's a lecturer mom's a teacher and i and I just, I don't know, there's always been a part of me that's wondered about teaching, and I, I do like that, like actually classroom teaching. Yes. I, I feel like I'm sort of teaching in a way through my work now. And I wonder somehow if maybe when I feel less like, you know, I've been around a lot and I don't want to get on a plane so much, maybe I'll just want to do a bit of teaching. So that's, that's sort of one of the things that I'm playing around with. But sometimes I wonder about becoming a fisherman in Sicily or, you know, so I got, <laughs> lot, I got lots, of, lots of fantasies and ideas about what the future might look like. But, I, uh, I can definitely see you as a teacher. We were lucky enough to have mm-hmm. Carl at Upgrade Your Life 2019. He was kind enough to actually spend a breakout session with some teenagers oh, yeah. That's great. Uh, because one of the unique things about Upgrade Your Life is we tell people to bring their spouses, to bring their children as well. It's a family experience. And uh, a lot of the teenagers that I spoke to after uh, the session you did with them absolutely loved what you told oh, them loved that's it great. so I could definitely see you as yeah. a uh, as a teacher and I think that is definitely you touched on this earlier as you um, your vision for the future should also look like leveraging off your experience in life to mentor others to teach others and I think one of the uh, most important things that companies can do for their senior managers who are now you know, getting too old to to make a huge, big impact in day-to-day operations is 
that these people should not be tossed aside. They should be made consultants within your business. They should be mentoring. You should be leveraging off their experience. And uh, that's what I'm doing in my own business. Uh, so I think teaching in general as a general concept, whether in the workforce, at mm -hmm. school, and doing, you know, um, uh, just workshops, <laughs> yeah, you know, for segments of society. I, I can see you doing that. And I, I just... I, I, I have, I've always been very open to helping people who, you know, all the way through my public pro profile career, I have people, you know, young writers or people who didn't, and I always take, I always, always sort of, I guess it's mentoring without a, yeah. a fixed program. But I, I, I do like the idea of doing that more in, in a formal way. But I, I, one thing I like about that experience, especially as now I'm, you know, in my 50s, so if I'm talking to people who are, you know, 20, 25 years younger than me, you know, they, they've got a different experience of the world. And I always think of mentoring as being something, it's like it's a two-way street. That's the best kind of mentoring. Yeah. So you are tapping into the experience of someone, say, my age, 51, or someone who's 71 or 81. But those people, you know, we can also learn from other generations. And I think that is of a, is of a piece with my whole take on where we are and are going with aging is that is that we're moving away from being defined and limited by our chronological age, right? And that people at different generations have got different experiences and there's so much we can share and learn from each other rather than feeling it has to be a, a top down. Now yes. I've reached the top of the mountain. Here are the tablets of stone with my pearl, <laughs> pearls of wisdom on them. Uh, you know, it's. I think that way, that's quite ageist in a weird kind of way, right? It is, Because yes, ageism yes. can be negative, but it can also be, you know, old people are wise, right? That, yes, that's yes. a kind of ageist stereotypes. Yeah. You're saying everybody who's certain age is this, and it's stuffing people with the same birth certificate number into the same box, and that's what we're trying to get away from. But I do think that mixing up the generations is a key part of this culture yes. quake. We need to get away from this silo yes. version of life where we just... Are surrounded by people from our own age cohorts you know we need to mix diversify it up. yeah totally and this is something the europeans do really well my my heritage is uh lebanese mm. and i went back to lebanon recently and one thing that katrina noticed she said you notice that all the social gatherings involve you know the grandparents the parents the kids there was no oh this isn't no kids or this is age just, inappropriate yeah, that's sort of, that's just, yeah 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 and it was just so natural and the italians do that as well and i think that's something we do need to return to in the western world which is why upgrade your life i was determined to make it you know a, an event for everyone not just corporate or yeah. you know not to segment it and, uh, and i yeah well, i think that's I really a big do. i think i, I salute you because i think that's a big part of the magic of upgrade your life actually is that that mix across the generations and I was, when we had the first one in 2019, I was, you know, already um, thinking about, you know, of course, Boulder was on there. And so I, I, I felt this is a good example of what we need yes. to be thinking about is not boxing people off into everybody who's 30 to 40 does this. And yes. no, that way lies, well, lie many problems, right? I think, as you say. Absolutely. Get people inside the big tent. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, there's something that you mentioned earlier about... Um, uh, ageism can work in reverse and I'm not sure if this is what you meant but I recently caught up with Mark Bunn uh, in Los Angeles we happened to be in LA at the same time and it was only when I noticed his uh, Facebook or Instagram post that I thought oh uh, and we sat down we had a, um, a tea together and he said uh, that uh, people in business uh, executives uh, senior executives in business in their 40s 50s 60s should hire mentors that are a lot younger than them. Mm. And I thought that was quite unique and I thought, he's absolutely right. 
And because look, my daughter's only 16, but sometimes we'll go for a walk together and I'll discuss business strategy with her and I'll say, look, I'm thinking of doing this. I'm not sure what to do. And, mm. and I'll tell her the problem. And she comes up always with a unique take on things. <laughs> so is, is that something that we should be doing as well? Um, I th- it's that cross-pollination. You I, know? Think, I, think, I think it absolutely is. I mean, this idea that somehow <coughs> you can only grapple with certain questions at certain ages seems to me so outdated, past its sell-by date. Yeah. If, it, if it ever was a sensible way to run the world, I'm not sure if it ever really was. But we 10 just, years ago, the, the, the thing was you get a mentor and it's someone with gray hair in their 60s and 70s. Yeah. And, uh, but we need to flip that. We don't, that's ageism as well. Yeah, it is ageism. It's yeah. kind of reverse ageism. I, I think utterly that's the way forward is for companies or organizations or just society as a whole to mix it all up so that we learn from, you know, a 20-something is learning from an 80-something, a 70-something is learning from a 30-something. And, and, and also, of course, even when you start talking about 70-something, 80-something, that has a kind of ageist whiff to it because it's suggesting that everybody who's 80-something is the same. And they're not. And they're not. Right? That's right. People have such. I mean, you can you can find many older people who are not that wise at all, right? Yes. And you can find many young people who've got incredibly wise heads on their shoulders. So, I think we just need to. I think again, coming back to this idea of smashing through the stereotypes, demolishing the language that locks us into this idea that everybody with a certain age is this way, and that older ages are bad. That once we break through that, then we realize that the world is going to be a lot flatter, right? And you will have twenty-year-olds sitting down and saying, you know what, I hearing an idea floated by a 60-year-old saying, I like all of that, but what about we rotate that idea this way and come at it, and yeah. then suddenly the 60-year-old is saying, you know what, I, well, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't, so to say, and then, or the other way around, a 20-something comes along and says, I've got this great idea, I'm going to change the world, and a 50-something who's kind of been there and maybe done a little bit of it before says, magic, gold, but, and the but opens up another door. And I that, love I, that. I just feel that's where we want to be, is that, yeah. Not this idea you sort of segregate people off into their silos and shuffle them out the door when they're past a certain age or keep them out of the door because you think they're too young. Take those, tear those walls down, right? Oh, and get everybody that. in there together, right? You know, you just gave me goosebumps then because I completely just saw that, the visual. That, that vision is mm-hmm. compelling and really, really, really love that. For a moment then when you were talking, I actually imagined, <laughs> you know, a group of people and it was just like age was was nothing. It just did not mm. feature at all in the vocabulary, mm. in the energy in the room. And I think so many, you can really, uh, humanity can have exponential growth if we leverage off that uh, way of thinking. And this is what I really love about your books. So, you know, your first, your, your book in praise of slow was just that defining, you know, moment, especially in my, li- in my life. Mm. And then when I started sharing that with a lot of people in the corporate world, uh, I noticed the shift that they had, uh, you know, in the way they lived because um, society at the time, you know, 10, 15 years ago was going through this stress is bad and uh, stress is caused by too much work or stress is caused by work when in fact stress is caused by haste, mm-hmm. by doing things, you know. Lack of control over your own pace yeah, and time. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of the core. And now, and you were so generous with your message. And, uh, you know, I listened to your first TED talk mm-hmm. uh, on that and saw many interviews. And you also had a, a show in Australia yeah. about right. oh, slowing you know, down families. Slowing yeah, down yeah. families. <laughs> and I love that. And I'm, 
And I just want to acknowledge uh, Carl's generous spirit with um, sharing this information. You have an amazing mind. You could probably be the CEO of one of the top 20 companies in the world, but you choose to you know, uh, bring a message that's, uh, that's critical for our society at that given point in time. And I feel like what you just said then about a vision you know, for um, you know, growing bolder in your book, is is really defining and i'm hoping at you know upgrade your life 2020 we're going to give that more oxygen and more that's uh, the plan yeah <laughs> ab- absolutely definitely so i'm that's really really excited <laughs> about that and i really thank you so much for uh, you have a very busy schedule in fact you have to run off now and do another in, uh, interview somewhere else i'll run slowly though right that's you will key, yeah <laughs> and boldly yeah. <laughs> and there's some really key takeaways from this podcast that i really love i can't wait to listen to it again <laughs> And yeah, I really thank you for um, uh, spending the time with me today. Thank Carl. you. It's, it's always, always, a, always a pleasure. Yeah, and it's I'm always an experience to the next, for me. Um, the next time. Yeah, and uh, we're going to have a, a lot of fun, hopefully, in London. We'll get a, a chance to uh, catch up again. So uh, before I wrap up this podcast, just want to, want to remind everyone that Carl will be sharing the main stage, uh, not just at Upgrade Your Life 2020, but in fact, next week or two in Edinburgh, 10 days time. He'll be on the main stage of TED, uh, the TED conference. If you haven't heard of TED, then you must be living under a rock somewhere. So (laughs) uh, it's TED.com. Carl was on the main stage there a few years ago, but this time he's talking about this new vision uh, for growing bolder. And I can't wait to listen to that. That's going to be absolutely epic when it comes out. But again, he'll also be with us this time, full immersion at Upgrade Your Life um, next year, 25 and 26 of January. And that's the Australia Day long weekend. And this is for those of you that have never attended Upgrade Your Life, and there's quite a few new, new people to our community. This is not a conference. It's not networking, it's more connecting. It's a social experience, it's a learning experience. And the whole purpose of Upgrade Your Life is to propagate exactly what Carl was talking about, and that is lifelong learning and approaching everything with a beginner's mind and acknowledging that we never ever get to know everything in life. We're always a work in progress. And so I invite you all to come along and to hear Carl, not just on stage, to party with him as well. He's a wicked dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I like a bit of dance floor, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And you were, you were incredible last year. You went uh, skinny dipping in the ocean there. And, uh, <laughs> or should we edit that out? No, or no? no okay. yeah. it was dark. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so can't wait for that. And uh, can't wait to see you up on stage again. Now, we're doing things a little different mm. next year. So uh, you'll also be curating a couple of other speakers or introducing them, possibly interviewing them. I think we talked about yep. uh, Dr. Jen Mann, who's delivering something on parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she's a um, couples therapist and a, a family parenting therapist. And this is something you've done in the past. I'm really, really looking forward to, to mm-hmm. you interviewing uh, Dr. Jen Mann after she finishes. So it's going to be a unique format for Upgrade Your Life uh, 2020. I hope you're. <laughs> I'm <laughs> you're counting the days. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carl, thank you again, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Great. Great. All right. It's goodbye for now.